The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners today. We are on number 65 in our series, our finance series. Today we will start a mini-series. There's going to be three weeks of this particular topic, and it's called The 16 Lies of the Antichrist. I really want to encourage our listeners not to freak out when they hear end times terminology connected to simple topics like finances. And I know there's even some, because I, I get texts or emails of Finney, why do you always have to associate everything with the end times? It's because we're in them. Okay, it's not sneaking up on us. We are in them right now. From the time that Peter started talking about it and Paul started talking, we were in the end times back then. We're in the end times today. How much is a lifespan to God? What's some of the terms that have been used in the Bible? So a thousand years for us is just one day for God. How many years has it been since Jesus walked the face of the earth? Two thousand years. And that's simply two days to the Lord. Two days. If, if you look at some 85-year-old man and he's, you know, months before he's going to die or whatever, how much is that to God? It's a vapor. The Word says... That a man's life is a vapor. Do you know for God to be able to sneeze out the end times, it's going to take every human life that ever lived to be in his nostril? If one life is a vapor to God. So you see, when Jesus took his last breath on that cross, and he said it is finished, and then he died, the end times started. And the time from that last breath to today of preachers preaching this morning all over America, all over the world, is nothing. Do you understand from God's calendar, the whole thing from forming this planet to burning it up is seven days. That's it. So you see, the judgment on Satan is, is, is happening very quick to God. Satan is not locked in our time span. I'm telling you, these walls do not stop Satan or his followers from walking to and fro. The enemy could have a representative outside these walls, and these walls do not affect them. It doesn't keep them separate from us. When your father dies and whatever sins that he's carried on through the generations, just because he dies, they don't die. They get passed on to the head of the home. And then when he grows old and he dies, it gets passed on to the next one. And the next one, it's called sin of the forefather. But see, we, we like to be lied to. We really do. Our flesh loves to be lied to. 
We love to have people go through the community and lie to us. Everything's going to be okay. And to, to say all these positive things, that's that prosperity gospel. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, so God's a liar. You want to know what the goal is here, guys? Of number 65 of our financial series, 16 Lies of the Antichrist, is for Satan to get you to say, God's a liar. This stuff isn't going to happen. Life isn't that bad. There's no doom and gloom in the air. Really? There's more liars than God because the scriptures are filled with warnings. Yeah, that's a, that's a big problem. Someone who would uh, be bold to read out our scripture for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Whoever would like to read that, just go ahead and read it out. Now I call myself urging by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am meek and face-to-face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, they may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Okay, stop. What exactly is being said there? Jenny said to me uh, yesterday, there's just a difference with hearing the word read to you versus reading the word. So one, I think we should stand when the word is being read. And two, we should listen differently than even when we are reading the word. So stand up and, Janie, read that portion of the passage again. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Okay, what, what, what is he saying there? I'm meek when I'm with you. But when I'm away from you, I am bold. Exactly. See, there's no, we're, there should be no reason for Paul to be aggressive with the people he's ministering to that love him. But when he steps away from them, he hears, they hear stories of how bold he is and he literally shakes the foundation of the enemy. I mean, there were demons that said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? See, I just want you to understand, that's his, their leader's reputation here. There's no reason for Jesus to be that way with us when we're gathered together. But step outside of that group, and that is a different story. And that is a goal and objective for this little fellowship as well. We need to be bold. We need to be as offensive as Jesus Christ might be when we are away from each other. Okay, Janie, continue. I 
ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, we, we're talking a lot of power that's being presented to us here. How is it possible for a lie to hold up under what we just read? It can't. So I want us to think about just the issue of lies and power and boldness and great revelation that Paul had and experienced when he was away from his little fellowship and had to be bold in Christ Jesus to the point that it shook the foundation of a community of lies. Why was Paul persecuted and distressed with difficulties beyond anything you and I could most likely ever get through? To me, the answer is very simple. When he was together with his group, he should have been commended and nurtured and cared for. But as you know, those of you know Paul's story, even that went bad. His own people turned on him. The power of a lie is shadowed by the power of God. And as we now move into our message, please keep that in mind. You may be seated. Satan himself is a control freak. And people who tend to follow him tend to become control freaks. Now, what really is a control freak? Okay. Someone who does not live their life in submission to the Spirit. What else? Definitely Godship. You know what messes with my mind? How in the world Satan is going to gain control over the entire world? That just messes with my mind. I, 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 I don't go through an average day. I don't go through an average week and think about how how is he going to do that? How is he going to infect every human being walking the face of the earth and get successful control of them? Except for the indwell believers. 
I already know. Scripture tells us what he's going to do about that. He's going to let. He's not going to let us buy, sell, or trade. Just three simple things is going to kill us off. We won't be able to get food. We won't be able to. You see what I mean? Just three simple things. You indwelt believers who don't have the mark, you cannot buy, sell, or trade. So, however you want to try to survive, just give it your best shot. But the rest of the world. He'll have 100% control of their minds and their bodies. The other thing that flips my mind out, it took me seven years to study the book of Revelation to get that book printed. And I got to tell you, what, what kept going through my mind as I kept studying the history of the book of Revelation, the history of the characters in it, the history of the Bible itself, I never quite got why God would always offer a way out and there would be these people that would come back and still shake their fist at God. Over and over and over and over and over to the very last breath. Of man. They never got it. I mean, you think about the pestilence, and you think about rivers turning to blood, and you think about, you know, the wars, and you think about the rumors of the wars, and you think about all that happens in the book of Revelation, and they still shake their fist at God and go, Who do you think you are? We're, we're trying to worship our leader here. who rules the entire world as a control freak. A control freak is someone who has to have control of everyone in order to feel like a leader. That's a control freak. And that describes Satan clearly. Opening slide, here's our points. Number one, true indwelt Christians live in two worlds. Someone please tell me what those two worlds are. Ian, you want to take a guess? Heaven and earth. Man's world and God's world. So that means there's two realities. This is a key little connection for all of us here today. Man's world is described as a world of lies. God's world, since God is truth, is a world of truth. Should we try to make that a little more complicated, maybe? Maybe write volumes of what truth is? Truth is relevant. It depends upon the interpreter of the worldview in which one sees that. And that's what we do. There's 21 popular worldviews in the world. That's not a lot. It's not a big number. They're all liars. There's two worldviews. Satan's view and God's view. That's it. We got to keep it that simple, folks. We can't write volumes and endless books and writing of books on worldviews or man's views or as Ian just said the earth's view 
We've got to keep it simple. The Antichrist is seeking to drag us into bondage by how we individually choose to handle our money. Control comes through debt. So to answer your question, or my question actually, how in the world is Satan going to gain control over the entire world? Debt. You say, well, I'm debt free. And to that I say, particularly you listeners in America, listen very, very carefully. If you live in America and some leader in Europe calls in your debt, American, you will pay for their mistakes, even being debt free. In order to keep something in his reality, he's got to create a conspiracy. The only way to create a conspiracy is to create a lie. That cloaks the truth. That's the point of, of, of this message, this little mini-series. Satan's system of economics keeps our minds set on the earth, as Ian says. That's how, that's how he keeps it focused on his domain. Satan has been given temporary control over this domain called earth. And that's why he was offering a piece of it to Jesus. Remember that? During his great temptation. And Satan's saying, if you just bow down and serve me, I'll do what? Someone finish the verse. I'll give you all of this. He was speaking of earthly things. And Jesus is, I mean, to me, the irony of the stupidity of the idiotic thinking that was going on during that moment in history just blows my mind. Is Satan stupid to offer the Son of God who owns everything as far as the east is from the west, which means it never, ever stops? Your minute, childish perspective of the universe is this spance of darkness with stars in it. I, will, I would give my life on this piece of truth. That God's world has no darkness in it. This universe is a box. Darwin probably was correct. On that piece. Darwin's black box. God is the owner of absolutely everything. And Satan comes along and goes, uh, If you bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll let you have the benefits of this city. And here Christ is thinking, My daddy's going to burn that city up. In fact, he's going to divide it in three portions with an earthquake. I mean, all this he had in here. And Satan's like throwing this temptation. It's like a lollipop. 
Guys, stay with me on this. Those of you who are taking notes online, offline, in the line, or however you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Satan is stupid. And he knows that sin makes you stupid. So to drag you into the bondage of sin, to make you stupid, you will join his stupid plan for his earth. That's how it works. Too blunt for you, I'm sorry, but it's God's reality for him. It is like gravity. It will have its way unless another force overrides the laws of gravity. My dear friend, who is now literally in heaven enjoying Jesus personally, Jim Irwin, he was an astronaut. He was the first guy to drive a vehicle on the moon. That's his claim. Uh, Jim Irwin came into the indwelling life of Christ and uh, became a very active, proactive teacher of the exchange life before he died. Jim Irwin, if you remember, is also the guy that God used to show us Noah's Ark. I was privileged to see all the snapshots of Noah's Ark that in uh, seven weeks from the time we were having our little discussion in my office and he was showing me these photos that were going to go be aired online, 2020 was going to be doing a show on Noah's Ark and he was going to be revealing uh, these details that they were able to capture and prove to the world that Noah's Ark existed. Well, Jim was at the base of the mountain and he died of a massive heart attack. You know, that never did air on 2020. For some reason, God, he hangs on and he contains details of proof because the earth's way of proving that God exists is through these these petrified pieces of wood or whatever instead of by faith and the simple fact is when Jim was standing on the moon no gravity I want to ask you a very logical question where is Satan is he on this earth or on all the planets where is his demons? Bound to, earth. Bound to earth. What would it be like for an astronaut to stand on a planet and look at the earth where Satan is? Now, a logical mind like Jim Irwin thought of that as he was standing there looking at the earth and he's on the moon, there's no gravity, and sin is like gravity, and Satan's on this earth, and all of his demons are bound to this earth, that means that these planets do not have Satan's presence. There is nobody going to convince me of that. 
So how in the world did Jim, Ir Jim Irwin get saved standing there staring at the earth? He said to me as he stood there and looked at this beautiful marble in the sky, in, the, in, the, in space. He, the evil that he did feel was completely within him. And God clearly showed him that he needed salvation because of the sin of the seed of sin that is in him. It wasn't around him. On earth, it is around us. We sense it every day. Whereas for Jim that day, it was in him. Because all people are born to go to hell. Unless they accept the indwelling life of Christ. That's the day Jim got saved. Confirming the image of the beast. Point number one, the world, the flesh, and Satan himself, of course, conform to this image of beast, which means not human, not spirit really. It's kind of a mixture of the two. We have movies out there right now, Lord of the Rings or Narnia or, you know, whatever. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but in society as a whole particularly for our children, Satan has worked to turn beast into pleasant figures. Your average cartoon does not have humans in it. It has beasts who act like humans. You with me? The best way to stop a movement in our society is through the children. So I'll tell you what, let's put out a movie about a deer and let's call the deer Bambi. One of the very first beast movies that became popular for children. And 40 years later, we have a whole society who refuses to kill deer. Because of a cartoon of a beast made nice. But that's how the enemy does it, guys. And spaceships, movies of spaceships coming out of the sky are just replicas of the New Jerusalem that's coming. And the aliens on other planets and whatever, and, and they come and they're evil and they're going to kill off the, us here on earth. I'm telling you guys, Satan's on this planet. Not some alien planet a couple solar systems over. The logic of God does not even connect to what is going on in our Medea society today. So the Antichrist is gifted at denying and disregarding the truths of the Holy Scripture, and he does it through media, through influence of media. What you sing, what you watch, what you draw, is all very important to Satan. Because what you see, what you draw, what you sing about, what you will automatically oppose the Scriptures. Automatically. If it doesn't line up with what that group is singing in church, they're going to believe what is being sung in church before they will their Bibles. 
sensory world distracts us from investing by faith in the unseen world, of course, which is where God himself lives. To go from earthly to heavenly economy requires being born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, becoming an indwell believer. Resources of the believer are not found in the seen world. And now becomes our critical point of the exchange life is it's got to switch this way. Worldview's got to go from earth view to setting your affections on things above. That doesn't mean by looking up into the clouds and talking to God this way. That means look internally. Prayer is a conversation that occurs inside your mortal body. People are constantly praying, doing this, you know, reaching out through the ceiling, then through the clouds. And God's not going to reject it because he, he gets it, what they're trying to do. Prayer is in here. He is inside us. And when Paul said to pray without ceasing, as Janie and I were talking about yesterday when we were getting ready to prayer, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, even though I talk to you all day long, and you talk to me all day long, we're specifically laying out a few items here in a formal way. You see, it's, it's a relationship. It's talking to someone like you're walking with someone all day long. That's the indwelling life of Christ. Well, Satan doesn't want you to get that figured out. He wants you to go to a special prayer seminar or a little checklist of how you're supposed to do certain things. Really? It's just a conversation. It's just talking to your husband that has been committed to live inside you. Satan likes to mess all those basics up, and they are basics, by the way. Rising up against the knowledge of God, as we read earlier in our passage, as we are destroying speculations and every piece of knowledge that rises up, lofty things that rise up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to be obedient to the obedience of Christ. Not our obedience, the obedience of Christ. People invest in the seen world will form speculation lies and arrogant thoughts, which will ultimately rise up against the mind of Christ in you. So there's 16 primary lies which will do exactly that, and that is rise up, shake their fist to God, and say, I will. And so we're going to take a look at those. Okay, someone quickly tell us how a lie is actually formed. Okay, bending the truth. You have to have a knowledge of truth. You can't lie unless you have to have a knowledge of truth. There's nothing to compare it to. Now, yes, you can tell a lie and not realize you're telling a lie because you've been believing a lie, you're of a lie, and those are unsaved people. They're walking around touting things like, you know, the environment or whatever the case may be, and they really believe they're telling the truth. 
That's different. And God views those people as different. Yes, he does view them as going to hell because they're of the liar, their father of lies. But someone who actually forms a lie has to have knowledge of truth. Then they can do, Deborah, what you said about bending it or adjusting it or adding things to it. So we have two complete worldviews even with the issue of lies. If you expect an unbeliever to tell you the truth, you're the one being lied to. I'm going to say that one more time. If you expect an unbeliever to tell you the truth, you're the one that's being lied to. An unbeliever has no ability to tell the truth. And that's why the emergent church, which is primarily unbelievers, are saying things and they really believe them. They have absolutely no clue. But if you as an indwelt believer are attending an emergent church, you're being lied to. There's a difference in worldview. Unbelievers do not know the difference because they're of their father of lies. But an indwelt believer should be uncomfortable when in the presence of a lie. That's what our passage was telling us today. Paul could not shut his mouth when they would lie to him. He was different when he was away from the people. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth and may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers on this day. Obviously, being you think you have the power to make money. You think you have the power to manage the things on the earth. But God's saying, I'm the one that even gives you that. Well, it makes Satan quite jealous, actually. So my guess is there's nothing more that provokes God to prove he is a jealous God than for a man to profess that his financial area of life was and is attained through his own strength and power. You steal one droplet of power from God and you will have his attention. It's a promise. He doesn't care about your silly little coins. He doesn't care about the worthless paper that is printed on. He cares about you robbing from him. Unless a body member is put into the position of depending upon the full body of Christ to live hand to mouth, I personally do not believe that one can truly experientially understand truth. Number two. Two-thirds of our world's population lives on less than $2 a day. This lie of Christians should not be poor is a huge deception that's out there today. Turn on television, any religious station, you'll probably bump into them promoting some leader who believes in this lie. Christians should not be poor. 
This is something that was touted by the Rockefeller era, that everyone can be wealthy like us. Really? Then how come the more wealth you guys had, the more poverty there was? Why is it when you guys were alive, there were more depressions than we have ever seen in society? Because it doesn't work. What it does is causes the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. Same thing in spirituality. There are those who seem like everything that they touch turns into gold. And then there's other Christians that are going, how come I don't ever get any of those blessings? They told me if I send my precious money to their campaign on whatever their campaign they were promoting, that I would prosper. But I don't. Oh, there must be sin in my life. So $2 a day. You know, back in the early 1800s, when we went from a dollar a day paying people to $5 a day, that was huge, wasn't it? And now here we are in 2015, and we look around the world and we look at these poverty-stricken countries, and the standard today is still $2 a day? And if we're under-exaggerating, let's give them 5 bucks a day, <laughs> or 10 bucks a day. You'll see very quickly we have a problem on our hands. A little over 75% of the world's population will never have the resources available for them to even adopt prosperity doctrines. There's no reason. In order to have prosperity doctrines relevant, you have to have a prosperous society. You got to have money in the bank. You got to have paint on the shelves. You have to have cars on the car lot. But see, we're spoiled. We are lied to by what we see around us. And you go to your average country and they have to import cars or they have to whatever. It's just not available to them. So prosperity doctrines only work in a prosperous society, i.e. is what America has been and soon not to be anymore. So the Lord is having his bridal members for his son to gather often, to share what they have in common, and to depend on each other for all of their basic needs. <coughs> what was normal for the church back then will become normal again. We'll have to. Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Lie number three is we determine our own financial success. Really? I've tried everything I know how to do to be financially successful in ministry. I've tried marketing plans. I've tried hanging out with the right people. I've tried hanging out with billionaires and millionaires. I've tried, you know, banquets. I've tried a lot of things in ministry to try to be among the big boys. And for whatever God's reasons are, he keeps me in hand-to-mouth ministry. Good reason, too. 
We need to discover and embrace the source of our supply, and that's what God wants us to realize. The Father arranged a very miraculous system of provision by mandating the Holy Spirit to come and live within us as born again into all believers. That's the source. Pray without ceasing all day long. This system of function puts the new believer in the position of looking inward for his resources instead of externally. That's why I love to hear or read about people's position about prayer. If the prayer sounds to me like they're stretching externally, it tells me where their faith is as a believer. But if it's very personal, and it's very relational, it's very, he's right here. It's a confession. I don't need to cry out to God. That's Old Testament terminology. I need to cry into God. You see, he's in here. I just need to talk. I just need to walk and talk to him. And sometimes it will be a little more organized than other times. Wealth in heaven is for the divine purpose of glorifying God and expanding the radiant beauty of his vast domain. And that's not earth. Ephesians 1.3 says, This is the kind of wealth the Lord is asking us to embrace, not the kind our mortal flesh can muster up, in order for our retirement years or to be more well cared for here on earth. Line number four is a responsible Christian can achieve. Wow, I know a lot of uh, Christians who can't achieve because of physical, psychological, or spiritual reasons. This lies the clearest satanic example of stubbornness of the Antichrist. First, first, don't succeed. What's the saying say? Try, try again. Try, try again. So we raise children to be good workers and trying, trying, trying until they get it. Well, if you have a prosperous family around you and you have a prosperous society around you, that might make them successful. But if you don't, no matter how hard they try, they're going to be failures <coughs> in this society anyway. So he, Satan, works to deceive mankind into thinking that he too can achieve financial independence and true happiness apart from God. I guarantee you, when I rent a car, and it's one of those fancy, luxurious sports cars or whatever the case may be, and I'm driving that thing, I'm not really thinking about God. It's very easy for me to think about the car. They gave me an upgrade last time I traveled to Atlanta, and it was a pretty nice car. Okay? I show up at the first church that I was to uh, attend, and a lot of wealth in that church, and my car stood out amongst them. In fact, one of the pastors came out and made a comment. But actually, I was able to say this was a blessing from God because what I actually paid for was one of these compacts. 
And this lady, for some reason, said, hey, we have a brand new, never been driven, blah, blah, blah. Would you be interested in in having this upgrade? I said, no, I'm not going to pay for an upgrade, you know, because I know they do that kind of thing. She says, no, I'll take care of it. Well, I was able to thank the Lord for the upgrade, but I got to tell you, my flesh waged war the whole week. So it just doesn't take much to throw our focus off. Christians are not to be, you know, responsible achievers. It's Christ who's already achieved what needs to be achieved in us. Here's lie number five. Financial independence to avoid dependence on family and friends. This is huge today. It is through this lie that abortion... Euthanasia, killing of the elderly and weak, and retirement homes are birthed. So why do we have retirement homes? I'm I'm trying to figure this one out. Why? Okay, so they don't have to take care of their elderly parents because why? What would be their excuse if I talked to them? But they can, retor- they can afford retirement homes. And if the mom and dad don't have any money? Oh, now we're into the government's pocket. Well, it, is, there's no one really at the house anyway, is there? Because mom has to be out working. And dad has to be out working, so there's like no one in the house. See how it works? So when did we put the the ladies of the house to work? When all the men went to war. What drives an economy of a nation? War. War. Do you understand every presidency needs a war? Any, any politician knows that. Well, most of them are created. (laughs) They really are. So, but that is how it works. So the men are gone. The ladies have got to work. They got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's how the, it shifts. But if the ladies held their ground and said, I'm not working outside the home. I'm going to take care of my children then the government would be forced to start to reconsider starting wars. That's what would happen. It completely changed the way the end times are going. But I'm afraid that's not the way human behavior works. So family integrated churches like ours, multi-generation missions, integrated family life are all functional doctrines of the past, not present. So if you say, Oh, Heartland is a family integrated church. They're like, excuse me? Well, we're a family integrated church. We keep the kids in the service and, you know, we really depend. Really? Aren't they, isn't that annoying and distracting? So it isn't very common anymore. Because if you really understood multi generation missions, you're actually going to see. That if we truly functioned as a family integrated church, we would take care of each other like one big family. 
That's just the way it's always been in the church. So the new postmodern emergent beliefs of independence and self-life fulfillment now dominate our postmodern pulpits and media marketplaces. Adult Christian children now consider assisted suicide, euthanasia, elderly placement, elderly uh, social welfare, which is Medicare, Medicaid, and any other program that will relieve them of the financial burden of caring for the weak and elderly family members. Now we need big government. And you know what the government says about big government? Oh, you want big government because you're irresponsible and taking care of your own responsibilities? You want us to take care of you? Then you're going to pay for it. So we're going to raise your taxes. Janie and I went on a tour of Norway, and, you know, it was a ministry tour, kind of. And we were hearing from all these people that they are taxed 50 to 60% of their income. But guess what? We'll take care of you. We'll pay for all of your hospital bills, all your children's births. By the way, when your children are born, we own them. And they do. So this thing that you're hearing in our government about who's going to own our children, this new UN charter that's been released to America, and they're just waiting for us to sign on. When that finally gets agreed, and once we sign on, the government will own your children. You say, oh, that's all conspiracy. We'll see. I always love it when someone says conspiracy because I get to go, we'll see. And it's usually five, ten years later that they go, you got to be kidding. They talked about this ten years ago and now it's in front of us. Because all you got to say is, we'll see. Because it's in the Bible. These... These things right here are all in the Bible. It's warning us. It's coming. You can't take care of your, your grandmother and grandfather. You can't take care of your mother and father when they're weak and frail anymore because there's no one in your house to do it. Nor do you have any money because you're in debt. Ah, now we are forced to go with big government. Forced. But see, people are used to this insurance and used to things, you see. And all that's going to change soon. It's all going to change. And we have to make the decisions ahead of time of, I am never going to support assisted suicide. I'm never going to support putting, you know, parents in nursing homes. I'm never going to, you have to make the decision ahead of time. I will not be a part of murder. The, everything you see there is murder. Oh, we don't call abortion murder. Of course we don't. We call it women's choice. Euthanasia. Well, that's not murder. We call that compassion for the terminally ill. Really? It's murder. But see, those sinful words that are used in the word, Satan needs to get erased. Here's our identity statement for today. Postmodern way is, survey says, 
Send one's children off to a godless government school. Boy, am I going to get some emails on this one. Allow the local church to train the children spiritually. Put those elderly parents in a county retirement center. And continue putting the little woman to work. Meanwhile, when the children grow up, they appropriate their training by being as independent as possible and moving away from their parents while grandma has to work in a local community kitchen until she drops like a rock. Well, that's the way of the new church. And I, I want to remind you that that only became this way a half a generation ago. This is very new to us. When Janie and I started in ministering, we talked about the man's responsibility is to care for his family. We were preaching to the choir. But now when you say that to a guy who has put his little woman to work because he's, he's allowed the family to go into debt or whatever the case may be, it's like standardize. And you know what? There's a lot of women that are divorced and they are kind of obligated to go back to work and take care of things. Be why? Because the head of the home screwed up. He didn't love her as Christ loved the church. Do you see the rump, the, 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 that rock rolling down the hill? We need to wake up and realize this is already going on around us. I don't know why you're waiting for this to come out in, in next month's World Magazine. It's already going on. We're already in the end times. So next week when we talk about the next section of these lies, I want you to be thinking about what God revealed to you as you heard the message today. Liar, liar, pants on fire belongs to Satan, not to the Christian. And the way a lie works is that you have to take a, a, a truth and you have to set it on the table. Because if you don't have the truth setting on the table, then you'll never get away with the lie. Then you need to put the lies around the truth. Because the truth will always win. But if they're looking through these elements called lies to see the truth, they'll adopt it. You'll have euthanasia. And people will go, well, I believe that's one of the greatest acts of compassion we can give uh, humanity. See, they're looking through this colored glass of a lie to see the truth. And that is how the enemy does it to an average mind. And it makes sense. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.